0: when you take an action and you earn an nft or you buy an nft it's automatically in your account and then you own it and then you can use it to engage or you can sell it to somebody else so you can transfer it to anybody you want so i think that's a big kind of step forward for the industry overall
1: welcome to subscription scale sponsored by rebar technology join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space share their best tips and stories and learn how you can up level your subscription business today Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Ed Visit, who is the founder and CEO of Festival Pass. Ed, welcome to the show. Hey, Nick. How are you? Thanks for having me. Awesome. Great to have you on here today. I'm excited to learn more about Festival Pass, but let's start with a little bit of background of yourself. What brought you to start Festival Pass? And then, of
0: course, tell us more about it. Sure. So just like any business, there's context. I've been an entrepreneur most of my adult life. I would start off as an investment banker in New York and up until 1999 and left to start my first e-commerce company. It was called City Stuff. We sold things that made cities famous. So anybody that knows the different fun things you get from various cities ended up selling that company in 2001 to a company in Stanford, Connecticut. And then fast forward, I had an experiential marketing firm for most of the 2000s, about a 70-person firm in New York. And we bring a lot of big, interesting brands into a lot of events whether they would be a concert, a festival, a film festival, or even just creating activations that were created solely for that brand. Did a lot of cool things around that time. We even owned a film festival ourselves down in the Dominican Republic. And then we branded and built a hotel down there with Maxa Magazine in 2005, 2006. So a lot of fun during that time. But Yeah, it, sounds fun. It made me fall in love with live events. And that kind of was the thing that I got excited about, but never really had a technology play around live events. And then fast forward a little more, in the world of subscriptions, I had a B2B SaaS company that was a firm for retail and franchise multi-unit properties. And we ended up building that and selling it in 2014, effectively merged with an Italian mobile company at the time that was also in the multi-unit kind of space. And then fast forward a little more, I had a service business, a data analytics company in the entertainment space. So you can see the interweaves of all the different pieces coming together. See the theme here. And we were really known in the television and film space. So a lot of big companies like A&E Networks, AMC Networks, Chorus Entertainment out of Canada, and film studios and ticketing firms all would use us to help them figure out their consumer data strategy and then build a platform for executing upon it. During that time, there was a infamous company that people may have heard of called MoviePass that had a really bad business model, but a pretty good go-to-market where people actually wanted to engage in a subscription entertainment membership. They ended up hiring my firm to help them understand their data. And I basically spent about 18 months as their de facto chief data officer trying to look at and understand how to monetize and how to utilize data across millions of subscribers. During that time timeframe, kind of the light bulb went off and I saw that, hey, the live events industry, which I had a passion for, hadn't been innovated on in decades. Traditionally, people that want to acquire tickets to an event go through some of the channels of the ticketing firms that everybody knows. Very transactionally, nobody really loves or has any brand affinity towards their ticketing firm that they like. Usually, it's just a necessity in order to get to the concert or the football game they want to go to. But I believe there is a different way to do it. I believe there's a place for a membership community around an environment of passion connected experiences that can allow people to be around people that they enjoy engaging with while at the same time still acquiring tickets to some of their favorite shows in a frictionless social way that is based around a community. So knowing that the live event industry is a $200 billion global industry, we set out to build that community around the live event space.
1: Well, lots of questions there. There's plenty of things we can dive into, but maybe take a step back for a second. MoviePass is, of course, very well known, certainly in subscription circles. And I think you said it yourself as having a bad business model. So just to take a step back, what fundamentally about that was good and was bad that made it ultimately not work?
0: Yeah, the good side, good product market fit. Consumers wanted to engage in a product where they felt interesting passions surrounded by it. So a couple of things that I saw that were exciting is consumers really liked it. Additionally, they enjoyed talking about the movies they saw. So a community got built around it where people just in their MoviePass app, something you don't really do when you are buying tickets to a movie in general, you get a little ticket stub, you don't really keep those tickets or anything. But there were so many passionate MoviePass fans that they'd see a hundred movies, right? And they'd have all those movies they've seen recorded in their app and it became a little bit of a pride thing that look at all these movies I've seen and they could screenshot that and share it with other people in communities so they can engage and talk about films they like to talk about. So that's the positive. It also got casual moviegoers to see more movies more often. So again, it brought more people into the theater. So those are the positive side of it. The negative was the real two fundamental issues with movie is One, they built it upon unlimited subscription model that was unsustainable for the company. So at the end of the day, the company was really just subsidizing tickets. So good for the consumer, but a very short-lived process. And then also, it became bad for the consumer over time because the 20% or 30%, the overall membership population were consuming the majority of the films, meaning that the heavy users were getting a lot out of it. And then the other 70, 80% or 60, 70% weren't getting as much out of it, right? So you want to build a business where 70 or 80% are very happy customers that are consuming and getting value out of the platform. So that was one of the negative sides of it. And and also the way they financed the company was difficult. They, it was a publicly traded holding company. And then effectively, they had to keep raising money in the public markets in order to keep subsidizing the tickets. And if you owned shares of that company, you were highly diluted over time because they had to keep going back to the public markets. It
1: wasn't hard to figure out basic math that said but the cost of movies were very expensive and the cost of that subscription, you only needed to go a couple times a month, right, for that to even out. So Do you think originally there was a, we'll figure out the profitability later and we will be able to figure that out? Or was there some other special sauce in the background that none of us just ever saw?
0: There was plenty of models that would have been sustainable and would have worked. And ironically, there was a pretty good senior management team there that were the rank and file senior management team, like the head of product and CTO, the head of marketing and all. And I said in a few of those meetings that all came down and recommended the go forward to create a sustainable model with millions of subscribers that continue to be half a billion or a billion dollar company over time and it was ignored at the time. So some of those in power chose growth over sustainability and sometimes that's what happens. Did I hear is it movie pass back? Did it get resurrected? It did. So the original founder, one of the original founders, there was two guys that were the original founders. One of them bought the brand out of bankruptcy. I don't know what he paid for it, but he bought it out of bankruptcy and just relaunched it. A little likened back to the original model, because MoviePass was founded back in 2012 by these two gentlemen, Stacy Spikes and M.A. And basically, they grew a slowly growing, relatively sustainable company until somebody else bought them. And then that's when everybody heard of MoviePass, when they built the Unlimited. But then the learning here is there is a business model that works. And it was just one that MoviePass didn't subscribe to. And one company that did subscribe to it that kind of set the precedent is a company called ClassPass. I don't know if you're familiar with ClassPass. So ClassPass had a lot of the same problems MoviePass did, I'd say their first four or five years of in existence. They did burn through a few hundred million dollars worth of capital to get the model right. But it was about seven, eight years ago, they came up with this concept, which was a credit-based currency. And what that means is that people can still pay a flat monthly fee and they receive credits for that. And they can choose to spend those credits however they so want. So it was no longer for one monthly fee, I get unlimited. And it was no longer for one monthly fee, I get two classes or three classes or five classes because each of the product, each of the class was a different price point. So the only way to create dynamic pricing was to use a credit-based system. So that one class could be seven credits, another class could be 20 credits, another class could be 50 credits, depending upon how you wanted to use that. So what it did for the business is it created a sustainable gross margin positive transaction every time somebody actually used it. And it still saved money for the consumer. It still provided traffic into the studios for all of the providers. And it got to a place where it worked. And of course, fast forward, they sold the MindBody for $1.5 billion. So they did well. Yep, did something right. But it took them to that place of creating this credit-based currency to make that happen. So being around all this, seeing everything, I'm spending a lot of time with some of the people that were instrumental in creating that credit-based currency. I decided that I wanted to transform the live event business in a way that we based our model on a credit-based currency, and that's what we have today. So any member that joins us pays a monthly or an annual fee, they receive credits, and then they can spend those credits in over 80,000 live events. So they're not only getting the value where they're getting the tickets cheaper than they would anywhere else, but they're not paying additional ticketing fees, which has been a big rub in the industry for many decades.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a bit about your business model and where then that translates into margin for you guys, right? As you already alluded to, the ticket investors of the world, these guys are not really loved by anyone, right? The artists or the concert goers, but they're making a hell of a lot of money in the process. Is your goal to circumvent that kind of ticketing process in more of a wholesale way that going directly to the events, the artists themselves? Or how does this really then grow to the point where your model makes sense?
0: Yeah. So ultimately, there's primary and secondary ticketing. And it's sometimes, I don't know if everybody fully understands how that works in the industry. Primary, more of the ticket masters of the world. And there's several, there's about 100 different primary ticketers out there that provide ticketing for the artist and for the venue in order to sell tickets. Then there's the secondary market, which are some of the big names people know StubHub, SeatGeek, Pivot Seats. And they play mostly in the secondary market where, they resell the tickets, but they end up tacking on 40 to 60% fees on top of it, which is how they make money. So our goal is not necessarily to circumvent or change is the wrong word. We're not trying to compete directly with those. We're just trying to find a lane where we can bring people together that want to be part of a membership that they can engage in. And the more they engage in our brand and our membership and our community, the more value they get back. And it so happens to be a place where they can also get their tickets to go to live events at a better price and with transparency and in a place where they can engage in the community. So again, I hope over time, like we're building tends to become the new norm, but in no way am I trying to change or displace what currently exists out there. It would be very hard to do because of a lot of the primary ticketers have decade-long contracts and relationships with the venues. I'm just trying to provide a new model for hopefully millions of members that want to join and become members of our platform to be able to do it a better way.
1: Are your members who have these credits able to purchase through traditional shows that may be ticketed through some of those current primary ticketing services?
0: Yeah. So, since we have so many events on our platform, we have over 80,000 live events throughout the year on the platform. We source our tickets from various places. So, some are from the secondary market, some are from the primary market. But what we do is when we source them, Instead of charging our members very large fees on top of it, we don't do that, right? So we source it at the same wholesale price other people do, and we blend it into our overall credit system. We make sure we're making a small margin on every transaction, but we're giving away a lot of our margin to our members because they're committing to and engaging to be a part of it. So if somebody's a $19 a month member with us, they're paying a certain amount of dollars per credit. And if they're a $99 a month member, they're paying a certain amount of dollars per credit. So the more engaged and the more they're willing to pay on a monthly basis, the cheaper they get their tickets. Yeah. Do the credits ever expire? On our traditional Web2 model, the answer is no. As long as they're a current paying member of the platform, their credits will continue to roll over so they don't lose credits on a month-to-month basis. If they totally decided to not be a member and leave the platform, then of course their credits would expire. We do have a Web3 model, which is Lifetime membership, and we can talk about that when you're ready, but that has a different element of how credits stack. Definitely want to dive into that in a second.
1: But one other thing I wanted to ask you about looking at the different plans that you've got on the website is that you've also got referral bonuses. So obviously customer acquisition costs are through the roof these days. This seems like a great way to build that community as you've been talking about and use them as the marketing channel to bring in new members. Is that the strategy there?
0: It is. What you probably are seeing as well is we have a multiplier. So the higher level of a membership you are, the more you can earn. So for example, if you're a $19 a month member and you invite a friend and they come in, you earn three free credits and they earn three free credits just by them coming through you. But if you're a founding member, a $99 a month member, you have 2x on your referral bonus. So you'll get double the amount. So you'll get six credits every time you refer somebody. And if you look at that from a mathematical standpoint, credits are anywhere from $1 to $1.27, depending upon the level you're at. So effectively, you're earning $6, $7 worth of credits every time somebody new's coming in if you're a $99 month member. So it can grow pretty quickly. You can get yourself free tickets to lots of shows if you keep telling all your friends. Absolutely, Yeah, that's a great incentive,
1: right? And I love the tiered growth. As you go up, you get the higher referral bonus, I mean, just more incentive right there. Talk a little bit about the more traditional channels you guys are using for new member acquisition. This is a model, at least MoviePass coming before you kind of laid some groundwork for people being somewhat used to that model as well as ClassPass, but how are you guys reaching out to try to acquire new members?
0: Yeah, so on the MoviePass side, it's a funny story because I used to talk to a holding company CEO every once in a while and he would always profess that, hey, we have millions of customers and we have, our acquisition cost is like zero. And I said, well, that's interesting because they use PR to really drive it. So it was really just about getting people and talking about the $10 unlimited monthly pass. And I was like, that's great. You spent zero on customer acquisition, but you spent $20 million a month subsidizing tickets. That's pretty costly customer acquisition cost. So it really depends on how you play it, the cards. But to answer your question directly is, where we've acquired most of our traditional customers has been through just paid social. We've kind of got a model down where we know about how much we can pay for a free member onto the platform. So somebody who actually signs into the website, sets up a profile, picks a password, tells us a little bit about themselves, what kind of things they like, and we know how much that costs us to do that. Then the assumption is that over time, 5 to 10% of those people that we've onboarded as free members will turn into paying members. So that's been the traditional approach. The second piece that we've been testing just recently is the whole influencer world. And what's fun about what we have is because our product is something most influencers want themselves, we've been able to build a pretty substantial, when I say substantial, only a few dozen now, influencers that have joined our program where when they post about us on their socials, they earn free credits as well. We just amplify their amount of credits. So as an example, if you're earning six credits per new person coming in as a founding member, if you're an influencer with millions of followers, we'll give you 10 or 12 free credits. So we'll amplify the amount we'll give the influencer for bringing in the new users because it creates a flywheel effect. So not only do they talk about Festival Pass, they then earn credits, and then they go to events with their credits. And then they, while they're at the event, they're once again talking about Festival Pass again. So it creates this flywheel effect of what they're doing. So for example, just... This recently, a couple weeks back at Coachella, we sent 19 influencers to Coachella using tickets from the Festival Pass platform. Who then went on to post videos and Instagram stories to their collectively 50 million followers. Wow! It feels
1: like that those influencers, especially those with larger base of followers, could accumulate a hell of a lot of credits, possibly more than they could use.
0: Could and we're all for it, right? So, like the beautiful thing about that is. At least we can have metrics around what it is, right? So if they have millions of followers and they build up five or 10,000 credits on the platform, then God bless them because that means they've driven 2,000 users to our platform. Do you have or are you thinking about a secondary market for the credits? Good question. There is a secondary market for our Web3 product, and we can talk about that when we're ready. But we have not yet tokenized the credits. So we're very heavily into the web three space, which there's a lot I could talk about of what we're planning on our roadmap for web three, but on the actual credits, there it's an internal centralized credit based system. We've talked about many times with many people about potentially tokenizing that for the future. And currently today, I don't think there's a need for it. Most people that have the credits on the platform plan to use them to go to events. So it's not like they're trying to monetize it. What's more important for me? is adding products to the platform through which they can use their credits for so there's more and more value. So for example, we have over 600,000 hotels on our platform. So if you have a thousand credits and you're only going to go to one or two events and instead of letting your credits sit there, you can go ahead and book a hotel room using your credits. Wow.
1: Interesting. So I was going to ask that as a follow-up question, outside of live events themselves, are there channels by which to use the credits? And it sounds like there are, Is there besides hotels, are there others that you have or are exploring?
0: Yeah, so hotels and live events are the only two right now. For us, it's really about finding organic channels. So one thing that's obvious is merchandise. So we have a bunch of partners that we've been in talks with to explore that. It's really about just taking the resources to integrate that, because obviously the only way we do it is if we can make it seamless. So meaning that, hey, I'm getting Taylor Swift tickets. And by the way, here's a Taylor Swift t-shirt. Click here, spend 30 credits and get your Taylor Swift t-shirt and have it automatically shipped from a third party fulfillment warehouse directly there. And we're very much on the path of doing that. It's just for any kind of relative startup, our roadmap is a few miles long in terms of the features we want to get out there.
1: You can only fry so many fish at one time. Yes, all right. Let's transition over. You've teased it a couple of times. Let's talk about your Web3 <laughs> membership, your lifetime membership. I think it's a fascinating concept, just the idea of a lifetime membership in general, but tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing there.
0: Sure. Yeah. So people can get a monthly membership. They can get an annual membership and they can get a lifetime membership. So anybody that wants to get a lifetime membership pays for it once. And once they paid for it once, they own it. And what it provides you is you immediately get $1,200 worth of credits to spend on the platform. And then every year on the anniversary date of when you bought it, you get another $1,200 to spend on the platform. So for as long as you hold that lifetime membership in perpetuity forever, it could be five years, 10 years, 20 years, you just constantly get $1,200 worth of credits every year to spend on hotels or events whenever you want. The cool thing is it's because it's a digital asset. It's an NFT. So I don't want people to get scared when they hear the word NFT. It's not like the JPEGs that sell for $50,000. It's the reason it's a digital asset is because it controls the ability for you to actually own it. So I'd like to say digital asset versus NFT. And now that digital asset is you own it and you could always resell it in the future if you want to. So you might buy it today and you might use it for a year and go to a bunch of great events. And you might say, well, hey, it's trading for twice as much as I bought it for. Hmm, maybe I'll sell it. And then you can go ahead and sell it and potentially make more money than you bought it for. But at the same time, you could hold on to it for as long as you want and keep going to events.
1: I assume you have a limited number of these that you're offering.
0: Correct. Yeah. In total, we're gonna to sell ten thousand and we're selling them in cohorts or tranches, whatever word you want to use, of a thousand apiece. So currently, right now we're selling the first thousand, and once those are sold out, the price will go up, and then the second thousand will be sold and then the price will go up. So anybody buying right now We'll get the best deal you can ever possibly imagine of all time, all time. There's only hundreds left, but if they bought it today, they would pay 0.95 Ethereum. So what that translates into money, think Ethereum is about $1,800 right now, 1800 1900 So they'll pay about seventeen or $1,800, and then they'll immediately get $1,200 back in credits. And then every year forever, they'll get another $1,200. So pretty good deal, right? You're within a year and a half, you're already getting your money back yeah. and you have it forever and you can resell it in the future.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. How long does it take to recoup that investment, I guess, since it is a lifetime membership? I think just this idea of a subscription being an asset, is it something that's associated with subscriptions at all right now, right? Because there's this ongoing financial commitment that you're making. And then, of course, there's the risk of cancellation that goes along with this. But this is something that can be resold. And as especially you guys keep selling tranches of them, And the price keeps going up, well then they in effect become much more and more valuable. Where do you see that this idea is still fairly new? And you guys are startup yourselves, but where do you see that going? Do you see potentially more members coming to you through that channel? And is that what you want versus the traditional pay per month or per year?
0: Yeah, I look at it this way, right? Is that I think it's an amazing value to give people that are willing to support us in this. Non traditional asset. I'm a big fan of Web3 and I want to onboard as many people into it as possible because there's so many other things that are benefits and values outside of just owning your lifetime membership. So I love it because people coming on board that have it are going to get a lot of value. And if they get a lot of value, they're going to go to a lot of events. And if they go to a lot of events, they're going to tell all their friends how amazing this product is. And then these first 10,000 that own this lifetime membership become your super bands, right? So for us, What happens is we get some of that capital upfront, but most of it we're holding against the liability for the tickets and to many years into the future. So on a business perspective, doing different statistics and math about how much the usage will be is it will take about four to five years for us to burn through the funds that have come in from those sales in terms of paying out for the liability. And then after that, we're only going to have these 10000 right? So it's part about creating that flywheel effect of 10,000 super users. And once they're gone, they're gone. So we're not going to keep selling them. So it increases the value of that finite amount of 10,000. And then as we have millions of regular subscribers, people are going to want to be part of the brand because they have a positive experience.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So this is much as about marketing and community building as it is about a way to sell to customers.
0: Correct. Yeah. You know, it's having 10,000 happy fans.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you've said the word a couple of times already, and we talk about it all the time in the show about the community that subscription brands can build that just you can't do with even an Amazon subscribe and save, right? Those are just replenishment services. But when you've got something built around festivals, people that want to go to live events, these are very passionate people, right? Who are, they know they're going to be doing this all the time, going to different events. And so they're very engaged. Do you see that having this very identified segment of engaged consumers as valuable to the brands themselves? Meaning maybe it's it could, of course, be a specific artist or maybe a festival or something like that. But might they be find your customers more valuable than the ones that are going to Ticketmaster to just make one-off purchases?
0: Yeah, and there's we have a lot of plans and we've already built a lot of technology to help that happen. So even within our own core subscription, we have these things we call micro subscriptions or effectively badges, if you will. And the idea is certain brands can partner with us, whether it's the venue themselves or a festival themselves, to almost create a mini micro subscription to add more value. right? So somebody could be a member of Festival Pass, and they might have the trying to pick your favorite venue in Asheville. I'm in the Raman Auditorium. They're not a client, but that's a good example. But (laughs) they might have the Ryman mini subscription. So you might pay an extra five bucks a month on top of your regular subscription to be part of the Ryman badge. And because you're part of that, guess what? You get special access to events that happen at the Ryman. They're published on our platform for only those who are in that badge kind of community. And you might get other value. We'll figure out exactly what the value is, but you might get other value like, meet and greets or behind the stage or special discounts on drinks or something like that, just because you're a member. And we'll share that subscription revenue with the theater themselves. Yeah. You know
1: that I get really excited about this because I think subscriptions in a lot
0: of way became
1: an economic model and not really what they once were, which were memberships were clubs, right? They were exclusive. You got things that other people didn't. You got first access to them or maybe the only access to them. And that really feels like what you guys are trying to capitalize on here is using that power of being a member to give them access to things that they can't get otherwise, because otherwise they might just look at this kind of the way they used to look at MoviePass, which is, all right, I can save a couple hundred dollars, in some cases a month, on what I would otherwise be paying for movie tickets, and that's not sustainable. So it sounds like you guys have found the best parts of that and are trying to put it into Festival
0: Pass. Yeah, and as a membership, as you can imagine... Just like I use the word flywheel a lot, but it's just once we reach a certain scale, our members become important to venues, they become important to artists, they become important to different folks, so we can extract more value for our members because of it. Whether that means us pre-buying thousands of tickets to a specific show and having a special festival pass section and getting it for a price you couldn't get anywhere else that we pass on to our members, that's value could be having a meet and greet with the artist only for the 500 festival pass fans that showed up that day or whatever it is. Right. So that's, what's the fun part about the growth mechanism is the larger we grow, the more value we can give back. This idea that you
1: developed where you buy these memberships for a, m- a monthly fee, but you're really getting credits that then can be used for transactions. That is a whole lot different than 99% of the other businesses out there, which are, you're going to pay a price per month or per year, and you're getting access to something or a fixed amount of something. Even take something like Panera's Sip and Save Club or something like that. You get access to a coffee per day, right? Or something like that. You don't get to go in and say, well, I want a coffee and a bagel today, and I'm not going to use it the rest of the month. So they're kind of dictating the way you have to use their product, but it feels like you're giving your members a hell of a lot more flexibility than the average subscription. Do you see that as a model that could proliferate? And do you think it applies to other verticals or other businesses?
0: Yeah, and I can't say I mentioned ClassPass earlier, so I can't say I invented it, right? So I like the model they had, and that's, it just fit with what we're doing. For example, somebody that, they might just love festivals, as an example, even though we have everything. We have all live events, it's just not festivals. But what, let's say they live in Austin, Texas, and they really love ACL, which is Austin City Limits Music Festival they might say, well, hey, I definitely want my Austin City Limits tickets and I might go to one or two other shows throughout the year. So I'm going to sign up for my $99 a month plan or whatever it is and earn my credits and I'm going to use it for those big events. Somebody else might say, you know what? I love those events, but I love going to a local show twice a week. I want to go see a comedy show and I want to see a live music show twice a week. They're each 20 credits on the platform, right?" So I could basically go to eight, 10 events every month and still pay the same as that one guy that was holding off to go to ACL or something else. So the idea is it's flexible enough for people to use it however they determine to. So. I could
1: see even some consumers thinking about this as a bit of a budgeting tool, right? Because yeah. going to live events can be hella expensive And you've got a big expense one month and then maybe nothing for the next couple as a way to be like, all right, I know I can spend $50 per month, $600 a year. That's my budget. And then they kind of use that to stay within their means. You see some people using it that way.
0: I agree. And that's a lot like millennial and Gen Zs think. Even when we first started the company, some of our early investors and board members, advisory members are, you know, they've had a lot of experience in the millennial and Gen Z space. And that tends to be the way that thinking is. This amount of money for rent or mortgage. I have this amount of money for food. I have this amount of money for entertainment. So it it makes a lot of sense to be able to budget for it. And because of it, now they're a member of a platform, a community, and they can engage more and even earn more.
1: Makes sense. Well, I guess my last question for you, and this could be a bit of a rabbit hole, but you're definitely built this in a different way. From a technology perspective, as you've built the business, even before you launched to now, What's been your path in terms of like what you've built versus what you have bought versus integration into other things? Like what's kind of been your path and what influences your decision when you look at different technologies that might be a fit?
0: Yeah. So we have a relatively traditional technology stack. And again, I don't know how deep into it your listeners get, but we've built most of it as a custom platform, but we utilize a ton of different tools in order to get there, right? So we're a React native site, which is same code base as our mobile app, which didn't actually launch it, but will be very soon, as well as utilizing typical frameworks, if you will, that allow for a React-driven website to receive SEO. So we use a Gatsby framework for that. I don't know how familiar you are with Gatsby, but again, traditional tool sets that exist out there that we put together. The biggest thing is at the end of the day, we wanted to provide inventory at scale. So we tap into dozens of different API feeds in order to make sure we're getting real-time ticketing inventory into our platform, right? So we're not manually entering each event. It would be impossible at the scale that we're at. It's automated, and it's constantly going back and pulling APIs from centralized sources, both from the hotel perspective as well as from the live events perspective.
1: What about the people that you've hired along the way for the business? Do you feel like you've been able to find the people who have the right, including subscription background and that level of expertise that you've brought into the business? Or, hey, this thing, we're greenfielding anyway, so everybody's learning as we go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that ends up coming to work for the company full-time or even contractors spend a little bit of time understanding what we're doing and why it's different. So part of it is just hoping and making sure they're believers in the concept because it makes it easier to find solutions when you're a believer in the concept. And then from a development standpoint, we've engaged various resources. Our head of engineering has been with us from the beginning. And then we'll scale up and down different dev teams based upon timing, resources, and what the things we're building are. Right now, I brought in an SEO expert to help us engage in some things and even play around a little bit with ChatGPT so that we can better create our descriptions of our artists, our venues, and our events so that we can have better pickup in SEO. So we'll see where that goes. It just, it's a way to tease and test, but it's an SEO expert that understands ChatGPT to see if we can make something happen there. So that's it. probably an... a lot happening there. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think ChatGPT or AI's overnight is going to change what we're doing. But if I can find tactical ways where I can leverage it in its current state to benefit the business, then we're going to play around with it. Awesome.
1: Well, last question for you here, Ed, you guys have come a long way already, but any major changes, launches, announcements, or anything like that for the next one to two years for you guys?
0: Well, when we're talking about Web3, again, I'm a believer, right? So in three to five years, I think every business in the world will be built on a Web3 infrastructure. It just will be an evolution towards it. So one of the things that we're going to do to help that adoption phase happen is currently when somebody purchases a lifetime membership, it's a digital asset, right? So they need to have it held in a crypto wallet. And then they have to connect that wallet to our platform, which then unlocks all the free credits, they, the credits they can use. It takes about a three to five minute process to do so, but it's not as seamless as it should be, right? Web3 has not yet adopted all the cool, slick UI that Web2 has. So one of the things we're doing in the next few months is in creating custodial wallets. And again, I don't know if everybody knows what that means. It, just means you don't have to go out and get your own crypto wallet separately. Whereas everybody that signs up even for a free account on Festival Pass will just automatically receive a crypto wallet embedded in their account so that if they so desire to buy the lifetime membership, it just shows up there. They don't have to do anything. It just it immediately appears. And as we add more reward-driven, engagement-driven digital assets, that it's just automatically there. So a good example is Starbucks has leaned heavily into this space where their entire loyalty program is moving into Web3, where once somebody agrees and accepts to be into it, it will automatically create a custodial wallet right on your Starbucks app, which basically holds any of these digital rewards that you receive. So they call them journey stamps, which is effectively NFTs that then get that you end up owning and can even sell somewhere else if you wanted to sell it. So for us, we're following that kind of model that says, hey, you're going to sign up for a free account, of Festival Pass, or a paid account. And regardless, you're going to receive this wallet and you don't even have to know about it. So that when you take an action and you earn an NFT or you buy an NFT, it's automatically in your account. And then you own it. And then you can use it to engage or you can sell it to somebody else or you can transfer it to anybody you want. So I think that's a big kind of step forward for the industry overall. And it provides a lot of opportunity for us.
1: Absolutely. Well, Ed, I really appreciate the time today. For any listeners who maybe had some questions about what we talked about today or wants to learn more
0: about Festival Pass, where should they go? Yes, so go sign up right now for a free account, festivaltennis.com. <laughs> Immediately, if you heard the story about the lifetime asset and you want to be one of those first thousand that got that really cheap price, just go, go right to the website. There's a little pink bar on top that will bring you right to the page to get that lifetime asset. And follow us on Instagram at getfestivalpass. Same on Twitter at getfestivalpass and TikTok. Just, Fest, just festival best
1: what well, again really appreciate the time today appreciate all of the insights you shared about your experience and what you guys are building over there it certainly sounds really exciting and it'll be interesting to stay tuned to so thanks again thank you appreciate it nick we hope you enjoyed this episode of subscription Scale, sponsored by rebar technology if something we said today resonated with you please subscribe rate and download our podcast and share this episode with your network